Hello and welcome to Let's Be Honest. I'm Jess and this is the podcast where I talk about life's toughest topics with lots of different brilliant people. Today's episode is called Let's Talk About Mental Health. I'll be joined by Alex O'Byrne as we talk about the peaks and valleys of our journeys with mental health, growing up, how we must accept the past to embrace the future and how a delicate balance between boundaries and grace allows us to be in relationships with others while protecting our own well-being. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Alex, welcome to Let's Be Honest. Hi, Jess. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm laughing because I have a little puppy in my lap. <laughs> and you're probably going to... See, there he is. Linus, can you talk into the microphone? Say hello. No, he was like panting in the mic a minute ago. Um, but today's episode is called Let's Talk About Mental Health. And old little Linus here is a little emotional support puppy. He so is. he's allowed. He, um, he seems quite chill at the moment, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But if you hear a little clip-clop of his little paws on the feet, I mean on the floor, <laughs> or his little whine, you'll know why. Anyway, welcome, Alex. How are you? I'm good, yeah. I mean, I'm a bit anxious, but I think... You know, nerves, normal yeah. nerves. But then also, I mean, the last few days, we've both actually, haven't we, been feeling a bit anxious? Yeah. But we can name it today, can't we? Yeah. Which is something that I never could do before. So that's That's a great huge. thing. Yeah. yeah. So we're in crisp, cold London. Um, I landed a couple of days ago and I've been staying with you, my dear old friend. Yes. And I'm so happy you're going to be a guest on this podcast because um, as I was mapping out season two, which obviously we're in now, and I knew I was coming to London. I absolutely wanted to talk to you. So this is mm. this is really fantastic for me that it's finally happening. So thank you for allowing us in your home and for doing this. Well, thanks for asking. Yeah, me. of course. So uh, today's episode, as we said, is let's talk about mental health. Yep. And we're going to talk about both our journeys, what we think about, where society sits on it now, and yep. just everything that goes into it. Yeah. Um, but we know each other from uh, our our travels we do we both have been travel women yeah. in the last couple of years we met in Cape Town we were traveling well you were already there weren't you because yeah. you were planted you were been planted there, for there a few months I think by the time yeah. you got there so we were in was it Gordon's, Gordon's Bay? Bay yeah yeah so I went out in 2015 um before I was on the voice I wanted like one last um one last hurrah one last hurrah <laughs> <laughs> no um but I went I went out and I knew I was going to um, meet a group of people, but I w- that was the first trip I'd totally gone on my own. Because mm. my other travels, uh, the first one I did when I went to Kenya, it was a school trip. Yeah. So I had some like school friends. And then when I did Asia in 2013, somebody I'd met on my Kenya trip came with me. Yeah. But this was my first time of really going to a country on my own where I didn't know anybody. Mm. So that was really nerve provoking yeah and of course flying from london to cape town via the middle east you know i had to really Did you go you went by doha didn't you yeah yeah and just just being on a plane for that long and i'm an okay flyer i feel a little bit claustrophobic and just the whole journey and and being out of my comfort zone and being away from home mm. i definitely had to put some strong pads on my shoulders mm. of just like okay we, we've got to carry this experience yeah and then when I got to Cape Town, for some reason, there was like an issue with my visa. And they were like, initially, they were like, we, we can't let you through. And I remember sitting there thinking, 
what do I do? Yes. I have a mobile phone, but it doesn't work in this country. Mm. I couldn't connect to the Wi-Fi. Oh, what it was is they wanted me to show proof of like a return home. Yes. And my email wouldn't load because I couldn't get on the Wi-Fi. So I couldn't couldn't access mm. it. And they would just say, well, you have to go wait in holding. And I don't like, basically, I don't know what to tell you. Oh, my word. And it was the panic because I couldn't contact anyone. Here I was in a country I'd never been to before, literally the opposite end of the world to mm. where I'm from. And it was just really, really stressful. But yeah. I also remember this feeling of, okay, you're, you're, you're going to be okay. Like, yes. we are going to get through this. It's don't panic. Yeah. Because that's my thing is I, I will panic, yeah. you know, if I'm in a, in a position like that. Yeah. But I got through and I finally ended up making it and, and met you. And it was a wonderful you month did. in South Africa. And we were teaching and volunteering with kids. So that, that was a really amazing experience. I mean, it was amazing. It's really interesting to hear you talking about that experience of traveling by yourself, actually, because when I went traveling for the first time, mm-hmm. so it was probably... It was the year before, so it was 2014. I left home in June 2014 to go travelling for six months by myself. Wow. And that was the first time that I'd really felt ready to do anything like that. Where did you go? So I started in South Africa, Mm -hmm. um, which was... My mum's South African, and Mm -hmm. I kind of decided that I wanted to go there because we'd never been. So Mm -hmm. my mum had lots of, to be honest, very negative associations Mm -hmm. because while she'd been living there, her mental health had been so bad. Mm -hmm. And she'd been so unhappy that we, as children, never went because she never wanted to go back. Really? Yeah. So then I'd kind of, I'd heard stories, positive stories from her as well. Um, Also her mother, my Omar, which is Afrikaans for grandma, um, also lives here in England, but she, her heart is in South Africa. She Mm. loves South Africa. And we'd always, we'd always kind of grown up talking about it. And I just decided that I needed to go and see this place for myself. Um, So when I landed, I went to go and stay with some old school friends of my mum's. And I kind of hopped around South Africa for about two and a half months. And I did a bit of volunteering then. And then after South Africa, I went to Bali. Oh, wow. Yeah. How was that? It was it was interesting. So a friend of mine from here came out to meet me because I was only there for two weeks and she came out for her kind of summer holiday. And I'd just finished a month volunteering in rural villages. Um, in Bali? No, so in South Africa. Okay, okay, so just yeah. before I went. Mm-hmm. So I'd spent a month um, working with families and children who literally, I mean, were living in like stick huts. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It was, yeah, I mean, it was it was incredible. Um, I mean, there's a kind of, a lot of reflecting that I've done in the last years of the kind of voluntourism, yeah. sort of white saviour complex stuff that kind of slightly, I think tainted is the wrong word, but it just sort of changed the way that I view my experience there. Right. Um, but I did leave feeling like that was close to what I wanted to be doing. I wanted to be working with children. But anyway, so to go from there to go to this place called Seminyak in Bali, which was a huge party town, Mm. it was just such a contrast that I actually felt quite uncomfortable. Really? And I think also my friend, with it being a holiday for her and it being part of a really quite personal kind of life-changing journey for me we were just kind of in different places and we did we had a wonderful time I mean it was beautiful mm-hmm. um but actually my favorite time there was in Ubud which is a little bit further kind of more rural I suppose um where there's kind of like the rice fields and everything's a bit quieter and it's all a bit more kind of cultural mm-hmm. and less sort of party party yeah um I would hate that that sounds like my yeah I, fa- I found it really difficult and I mean at that point I mean later on I'm sure we'll talk about 
my kind of journey with with addiction and alcohol um but I was drinking and so being in that kind of environment where partying is the center of everything it meant that obviously I was drinking a lot and that really I now know was terrible for my mental health so Mm. I was definitely suffering because of that as well but I hadn't made kind of joined the dots between my alcohol use and my mental health basically Mm -hmm. so I kind of I hadn't connected it but I now know that that was also part of why I was really struggling, feeling kind of very, very anxious mm-hmm. and wanting to kind of isolate and retreat, but then being with this person for two weeks in this place and she kind of wanted to do all these things. And Did you feel like you had to be on? At that point in my life, I pretty much felt like I had to be on all the time. Right. I hadn't yet come to the realisation that it was okay for me to stop when I needed to stop mm. and to take a break when I needed to take a break. And that actually, this person who's still a really, really wonderful friend of mine, would have understood Mm. but I was still in such a headspace of not necessarily understanding exactly what it was that I was feeling and what I was going through but also being able to identify what I needed in order to feel okay Mm -hmm. Um, or to just be able to sit with the feeling but having named it know that it would pass but I just I had absolutely no idea how I hadn't learnt from anyone or any anywhere really mm-hmm. how to manage it. So there definitely, I mean, there were positive experiences about it as well, but it was it was difficult. Of course. And then after that, I went to Australia and I was there for a few weeks. Again, that was positive, but I think the longer my journey went on, the higher my anxiety got, mm-hmm. and the more I'd be in these new, really, really exciting places, but not actually really want to do anything. Oh, sorry. Um, I kind of just want to be just knock the table. Um, the yeah, the longer it went on, the more I kind of felt the need yeah. to isolate and mm-hmm. need to to not speak to people. And obviously, traveling by myself, the only way that I was gonna get to know people was by being well. I thought being on, right? Um, and I mean, you've seen on Alex. Like when I'm when I'm kind of really really on, I'm quite. I suppose manic is almost the way to describe it. Like I'm quite a lot. I'm quite forceful. I'm quite like. I don't know, loud, bubbly, chatty. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's almost a defence mechanism. Isn't oh, it, it definitely isn't is. It, it definitely yeah. is. What you just talked about there that really impacted me is is talking about not having the language to describe what you're going yes. through, the lack of education. And I remember feeling that when my mental health journey really sort of showed up. I was about fourteen, mm. and what I was dealing with was anxiety, mm. acute, extreme anxiety. Mm. And I think after all the therapy I've been through in my life and just, you know, going through sort of the catalogue of my life, of my experiences, I think I've had anxiety since I was a small child. Yes, me too. And my parents didn't have the word anxiety mm. to, to say, hey, this is what you're going through. Yes. And, you know, now we know, because there's been so much research and education, that anxiety shows up in physical symptoms. Mm. So I was having a lot of that, of having an an anxious state about a forthcoming experience. And for me, that might've been going to school. um, Because I had a lot of teachers that didn't really like me. And that's because I was quite, you know, mouthy for, Mm. you know, lack of a better word, (laughs) but I was very opinionated and um, didn't love authority, didn't love that. I loved the structure of school and learning. But I've always been like that. If if you give me a reason not to respect you, like, I will never be... I, now as an adult, like, I can respect people as humans. Yeah. But when I was in school, like, if if there was sort of a sign of weakness from teachers or mm. that I just got a bad vibe from them, I wasn't about to be like, yes, miss, no, mm. like I And I just gave teachers a hard time. So mm. now as an adult, I can... And having worked with kids, I can understand why yes. they, you know, had a black mark against me. But 
I did, you know, get anxiety like the night before. Mm. And my parents, not through any lack of love for me, just because of their own lack of education, Mm. couldn't understand that when I was suddenly was having headaches or stomach cramps or couldn't sit still every Tuesday, you know, which when it was the night before I'd have this particular, you know, teacher on a Wednesday morning, Mm. there was no understanding of the correlation Mm. between my physical symptoms of anxiety and what was what was going on in my Mm. mind so I understand that scary sort of wilderness you walk in when you don't have the right words to Mm. describe things and you're saying what's going on why am I losing my mind why is Mm. this happening and for me also when I was 14 I didn't again didn't have the word for it but was going through what I know now know was like extreme OCD yes and my OCD was showing up in intrusive thoughts obsessive thoughts like Mm. I I thought an intrusive thought would come into my mind and it would not get off the the loop yeah and they were things that I didn't want to be thinking about Mm. like really horrible things that I carried so much shame about like Mm. um if I saw a knife on the kitchen counter I couldn't not think about somebody getting stabbed Mm. or that I would even be the one doing it or you know like couldn't see a bus without thinking somebody was going to fall in front of it you know just really horrible stuff that mm. nobody wants to be thinking about and why am I thinking about it mm. and I struggled with this for well over a year and just thought I was losing my mind mm. confided in my mum but swore her to secrecy because I thought I was you know a terrible person and it was awful yeah and then my mum got me this book called brain lock and anybody who's going with OCD I throw it in their face I'm like read this it saved my life mm. and it's by this doctor and he you know goes through the whole experience of OCD and one of the chapters was you know intrusive thoughts mm. so I flipped that chapter and then there was this one particular page that was lit was titled common intrusive thoughts that most people with OCD suffer with mm. and there sitting in black and white on that paper was every insane shame-filled thought yes. I ever had and you knew you weren't alone and I was like oh my gosh wait this is these are like the common things yes. and this is something I shouldn't be worried about and it gave me so much relief to have a knowledge that a as you said I wasn't alone mm. be a word for it mm. um a method to work through it mm. and you know I struggle every once in a while with things but but night and day compared Mm. to what it was Mm. and I really think just having that education and I wish my parents would have had it and again that's not through any fault of their own but it would have been such a a different experience if they had and I'm so glad that I have that experience and education now to pass on to my children or my friends people in my life like Mm. I can be a beacon of don't worry I've gone through it I get it yeah um And I just think that that education is so important. Mm, Yeah, totally. I mean, there were a couple of things you said there that really, really stuck out for me. I think the first one being the physical symptoms. Mm -hmm. Because, again, I mean, like you said, from a very, very young age, I was an anxious child. Mm -hmm. I was very, very anxious. Um, And now, in hindsight, I recognise that so much of it for me was about control. Mm. And from a young age I had kind of learnt to try as much as I could to control my environment around me to make sure that I was going to be safe right is that because someone had taken control away from you well I mean it's again it's so difficult to to say it now because my parents we have a really really wonderful relationship now and I do still carry some resentment I still carry some frustration and sadness really yeah um for the child that I was but also for 
the the kind of situation that they were in because like you were talking about with the lack of education mm-hmm. and also the stigma mm-hmm. associated with not just kind of diagnosed mental illness but just the inability to cope right with either parenthood. why can't you cope you yeah, should be able exactly to. you know or how dare you say that you can't cope with parenthood like you chose to have children and mm-hmm. all of that kind of yeah just shame shame mm-hmm. which is so damaging um so I mean my dad was working very very hard and wasn't at home a lot my mum was definitely struggling with her own mental health issues um anxiety being one of them depression being another and she did have very very bad postnatal depression with me me being the eldest and then continued on to have two other children but I do have memories of just her frustration just manifesting in absolute fury. Oh, the same, same Absolute fury. And I mean, there was a lot of, you know, there was some physical stuff, there was a lot of kind of emotional stuff, a lot of verbal stuff. And again, I, d- I don't like to use the word abuse because I feel like I do genuinely in my heart believe that she did the best she could with mm-hmm. what she had. Well, I think not to rename your experience in any way, but I think that you can still acknowledge your experience whether you want to give it the name abuse yes, or not yes. and still have compassion for yes. the person and say they did their be- the best they could yes. because I do believe everyone is doing the best they can yes. and with that mindset that doesn't mean they're doing the best they can and you excuse things mm. you don't stay in situations that are not healthy or good for you or mm. where you are at the hands of somebody's wrath or abuse like mm. that I totally believe but Mm. when you have that mindset and you look at people who are causing real damage and Mm. hurting people Mm. you can have a better understanding of gosh what must their mental health be like yes because I say this all the time to people when I've experienced someone who's just not a nice person Mm. or not behaving nicely Mm. what must they be going through to want yes to prompt that yeah that's their response because secure happy balanced people don't behave like that like I had a boss when I was living in LA who completely 100% got off on just degrading people and shouting abuse and humiliation and just she was horrendous and when I was in it and I was the victim of abuse because it totally was Mm. just awful Mm. and unfortunately that's one of the things in the in the music industry because I was working at a recording studio there's just no space to talk about that yeah it's getting better but like abuse of power and how people treat interns and assistants is horrendous but um when I was out of it I realized gosh she just must be going through so much and what must her home life be to have to come to work and that be the only way she knows how to behave and respond to her world if it wasn't her home life now something happened at some point well then it's funny because when you dig deeper and find out about you know people's stories more mm. she and en- it's funny because she ended up firing me like I went away on holiday like planned scheduled holiday and on my second day of work uh, excuse me second day of holiday she ended up calling me and was like I just don't think this is gonna work out mm. and fired me and I had no job to come home to and I was a struggling artist in LA with just I was like what am I gonna do and then down the line she called me in obviously because she was in a, in a stuck and she needed somebody to fill the position and she called me back and and she said well I think would like to give you another go and I had done some growing in that time and I just said well I'll definitely come in and talk to you about it but I'm going to tell you now that I'm going to give you a list of things that you can never do again if I'm coming back here if you want me bad enough yeah and she's like okay whatever go and sit down in her office 
and she's like okay so what's this what's this list of things that you like you know want to give to me mm. like kind of like acting like you know it wasn't whatever. a big deal yeah and I just had this I don't know where it came from but I just had this strength and I just said well first of all you're gonna give me a pay raise because it was ridiculous what they were paying us just like nobody could have survived like mm. we were working 18 hour shifts overnight with n- no breaks and just for like 12 dollars an hour something stupid yeah and so first of all you're gonna give me a pay raise and she was like okay and then I said, and then you're never, ever going to scream at me in front of a client ever mm. again. You're never going to take shifts away. I think I was sort of saying, not just for me, but for everyone, because mm. there was like a couple of people that rotated our position. I said, you're never going to take shifts away as, as punishment mm. for something that you don't like or a mistake. Because mm. she would do that, like mm. take, take shifts away. Because I was like, that's people's livelihoods that you're mm. messing with. Um, and whatever else I said to her. And I completely thought that she was going to tell me to to jump off a cliff yeah because here was this woman who was just full of wrath and people were afraid of her and she was really known in the industry of being just really rageful and ruthless and she broke down and started crying Mm. and I was shocked because I was for sure like she's going to tell me to jump off a cliff Mm. but I'm going to say these things for my own like um conscience yeah um and then I won't get the job and I'll move on Mm. and she broke down crying and I didn't ever expect that response and she said has it really been that bad Mm. I had no idea in my mind I'm thinking how can you not know (laughs) like how could you have no idea like you're horrendous you've caused people to cry you've caused clients not to come back I was insane and she ended up giving me the job and Mm. and we cooked on gas for like three months it was the greatest workplace because she turned into a leader instead of a boss. Yes, amazing. The clients started being happier. Mm. I would look around and go, how is this my job? Like, all of these artists... But also, how is this the same woman? Right, but it lasted three months. Yeah. And then her inability to grow or, like, have real change, Mm. it all just came crumbling back because she hadn't put up the pillars of, like, real self-development and growth. Well, it's also... it's, It's the foundation, isn't it? And, I mean, I think going back to what we were talking about before so that kind of that fear and that constantly being on guard which is what I learned to do Mm -hmm. um, because of trying to keep myself safe trying Mm -hmm. to kind of not set my mum off not kind of push my dad away even more because he was never there and then when he was there I needed him to you know give me attention and love me Mm -hmm. that just set me up on a very very shaky foundation Mm -hmm. and that is not something that when things are thrown at you external things so Mm -hmm. life's trials or whatever are thrown at you that can really withstand anything it's it's the same as the 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 notion of like build your house upon the rock and not upon the sand exactly because if you don't have your foundations which you know for this woman I'm talking about this old boss in LA she obviously didn't have it so this wonderful period of three months where I was like okay we've got some positive change yes. this is great we're making progress yes. it all crumbled and all of the same behavior came back yeah. and I ended up quitting yeah and it was a good lesson in me if for me to realize you cannot fix people no. you cannot rescue people and you really can't change people no. you can bring the notion of wanting change, but yes. people have to do it on their own. That's not to say they have to do it without support yes. and a network, but the ultimate decision to change has to come from within. Yes, and I mean, I think that also, it doesn't just apply to people, it applies to everything. Yeah. And I think that's been such a huge part of my journey has been 
I mean, you know, they, they say it in the, in the serenity prayer, in the 12-step program, you know, mm-hmm. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, mm-hmm. the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. And when you have that, that constant sense of control, you are wound so tightly, mm-hmm. and you're trying so hard to manage everything around you, mm-hmm. but then when things don't go according to plan, you fall apart, because yeah. you don't know how to function in that, yeah. in that kind of way of living. You don't mm-hmm. know how to cope when things go wrong, because you've never had... Mm-hmm. You've never learned how. And I think on the back of that, you miss out on so much because whatever your belief is of a higher power, whether it's God or the universe or however, yeah, you know, you, you do realise whatever your beliefs are that you aren't in control of everything. Yes. Like things, major things like we can't control the weather yes. or we can't control how the ocean moves or public transport in London (laughs) yeah nothing (laughs) but so you do understand that like some things are happening around you or a lot of things are happening around you without your say so Mm. and not on your schedule so with that how could you think that all of the increments of your life are going to be because you've planned them and executed them so if you're living in this space of wanting to control things all the time Mm. you're not allowing any space for other people's gifts or Mm. contributions or how the universe is going to bring what is meant for you. If you're mm. just like ho- holding on all the time and you've got this big barrier around you, mm. A, it's never going to work because that's not how we're meant to be. Yes. And it's not how the structure of nature goes. No. You know, a flower blooms whether you want it to or not. Mm. You're you're missing out on so much because you're not allow- allowing the things that are meant for you to flow in. Yeah, completely. And I mean, I think it's it's so interesting because for such a long time... I thought that if I could just try a bit harder, Hmm. work a bit harder, power through a bit more, Mm -hmm. keep pushing a bit harder, get that job, um, get that relationship, Mm -hmm. whatever, all these things that society tells me, if I get them, I will be happy. Mm -hmm. Or if I get them, I will feel strong and I will feel powerful and I will feel, you know, whatever. And if I can't get those things, if I'm not well enough or, you know, I'm doing air quotes here, strong enough to get those things, then I'm weak. Right. It's this kind of black and white way of thinking. Well, there's no space in our society for real rest. No. When you look at, like, how many hours people need to work to just survive. Yeah or to whatever yeah there's no real space or acceptance of human beings are not really supposed to be working and living the way they are Mm. you know just constant pressure to as i said survive Mm. it's not like okay well if you want to go off to a lovely holiday in the maldives you know and experience life for three months you know work your 40 hours it's like no if you want to just have food in the fridge and turn the lights yes. on you've got to just be drained all yes. the time but there's also that that hearing you talk about holiday for example like mm. I, I'm sure it's a it's a thing in in other cities as well I mean I've seen it in New York and I've seen it in you know a few other cities that I've been to but in London this concept of living for the weekend or living for the holiday mm-hmm. and something that probably this year more than any time but kind of progressively over the last maybe about five years I've just come to this way of thinking which is I do not want to live a life that I need to constantly escape from. I don't want to be living a life that is so full of, I don't know, stress and- Things you don't want to be yeah, doing. Yeah, well, I mean, just just kind of resigning myself to, oh, this is the life that I have to, le- to have to lead, but don't worry, the weekend's coming, or like, don't worry, my holiday's coming. Mm. Um, and actually, what I want to be able to do and what I've been able to do with the kind of, you know, the treatment that I've had for my mental health and the 12-step program and all of that kind of stuff is, I am able to create a life for myself 
but it's an inner life. Mm-hmm. It's, got, it's got very, very little to do with what's external to me. If I'm able to find, you know, gratitude within myself to do with little things, if I'm able to, after having, you know, done those things like looking at my childhood and looking at where the anxieties come from and looking at, actually, there are times when I can't just power through. There are times when I do have to stop and actually, you know, have somebody look after me, you know, Mm -hmm. being checked into hospital, for example, and those sort of things. But if I can accept those things for what they are, rather than constantly wishing that I and everything around me was different, Mm -hmm. my life is so much easier. Yeah. So much easier. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's even accepting the things that are uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, like when I do have a panic attack or when I have a really, really deep depression, Mm -hmm. obviously when you're in it, it's so much harder to think that way. Yeah. But just the kind of transient nature of it, rather than thinking that all of these things are going to be around forever, it's never gonna go away, it's never gonna be different, I'm always gonna feel like this, this is always gonna be hard, or this was awful the first time it happened, so it's gonna be awful the second time it happened. Mm -hmm. Just trying to be in that moment and in that feeling now, Mm -hmm. and just not, yeah, like I said, not constantly feeling like I need to be somewhere else or someone else. Well, it's so interesting when you talk about like the internal versus external world because how many people can we look at in our society that have a fabulous external world? They're living in Bel Air, they've got nice cars, they've got millions in the bank, whatever, you know, our society has put on the parameters of being successful. And their internal world is a nightmare and a we don't even know about it because we don't talk about it and all we see on social media is isn't my life so wonderful and the highlight reel yes you know but their internal world is so dysfunctional they've got so much childhood trauma they're anxious they're depressed oh linus it's okay i've got the i've got the little emotional support puppy on my lap um you know and they don't they don't function internally at all yes and and then look at the opposite and we've seen this both of our experiences you know in rural africa where where people are living in stick huts and they have no amenities mm. and they've got quote unquote nothing mm. and i swear to you they are the most joyful generous grateful people in the world because mm. their internal world is on track and that doesn't mean they don't have their struggles yes. but they are they are grateful for what they have they have an amazing community Mm. you know and it's just amazing how external versus internal is not always Mm. word. it's really important to acknowledge the kind of privilege element of that as well because Mm -hmm. I think you know when your your biggest struggle is whether you're going to be able to get food on the table that day versus your biggest struggle being able to I don't know get on the tube that I mean you know those are very very random examples but you know whatever is the priority in your life obviously then dictates how much attention you can give to these specific things Mm -hmm. so I mean it's been said to me a few times and I remember actually the first time somebody said it I got incredibly defensive actually Mm -hmm. because I when I went into hospital the most recent time so I basically had a really really physical reaction to my anxiety and depression and my brain shut down Um, My short-term memory was completely gone. I couldn't speak properly. I was slurring my words. I remember speaking to a friend of mine who thought that I'd actually drunk or taken something because she just said I just sounded like I was off my head. Mm. A few months ago, I was talking to a friend from university about it and about how I hadn't been able to go back to work because the anxiety of what had happened, because it was kind of linked to work, um, was so high. And she kind of said, yes, but Alex, you have the privilege of not having to go back to work because you can you know, you can 
lean on your parents lean on your parents live in a country where they'll support you exactly and I remember getting really really upset not because I didn't agree with her but because I think I took it in the wrong way Mm. which was well you weren't able to look at it in that way yes but I mean in hindsight I now see that you know yes that's that's fair Mm. you know there are people who do have these issues that have to have to keep going and potentially end up God forbid, taking their own lives or, you know, living on the streets or whatever because Mm -hmm. they can't, they don't have the support system that Mm -hmm. I was, you know, blessed enough to have. That is a really amazing perspective that I wouldn't have thought about until you've said that, that how how are privilege and mental health linked? Yes. Because to, or to have mental health issues in an upper class white family with good finances and a good support system is a hundred percent different experience than to be a person of colour in the south part of North America where your socio-economic background is not in a position to support you and and you're already disregarded by society. Those two people with totally opposing lives yes. go both going through anxiety you're 100% correct that yeah. is different yeah yeah and I mean I think also you know I was able to go into a psychiatric hospital um that was really really you know well renowned and had lots of very very good doctors and you know I had my own room and all of that kind of stuff and that was because my parents were able to pay for me to go and my experience of that hospital was I mean obviously it was difficult because I was in a very very wobbly and vulnerable state Mm -hmm. um but it meant that I was able to get the care that I needed very quickly Mm -hmm. um and there were people in that hospital who had been admitted to NHS psychiatric units and I don't want to bash the NHS because you know if Mm -hmm. it wasn't for the NHS I wouldn't be here today Mm -hmm. but they had had some really, really actually traumatic experiences in NHS psychiatric hospitals where they hadn't had any kind of talk therapy or anything. All they'd been is medicated and doped mm-hmm. up. And then, you know, either their health insurance had kicked in or a family member or something had given them enough money to be able to go to this this private unit. I think I, I, I've just, I need to name that privilege, you know, mm-hmm. and name the fact that I've been, I've been so lucky, lucky in the treatment that I've been able to receive because, first of all, my family have been willing mm-hmm. and happy to to help me and support me but also there's that being ready mm-hmm. being ready mentally and that kind of that thing that you were talking about with your boss I had got to a point and they talk about rock bottom you know in so many different instances mm-hmm. and I got to the point where I was so so ready to do the work because I just did not want to live like that anymore right and rather than choose to not be alive which I'd kind of decided a couple of times rather than seeing that as the solution my solution was now okay I'm going to do all the work that I possibly need to do to get better wow they say a lot of times a breakdown is a breakthrough yes did you feel like that? I 100% agree and I mean I think the first time that it happened I would not have seen it that way at all Um, I've had three I would probably say major breakdowns in my my journey with mental health um, and been hospitalised three times but now definitely and the most recent hospital visit honestly as soon as I was admitted to hospital this time round I knew that it was going to be okay because I knew that I'd asked for the help early enough Mm -hmm. I hadn't had a suicide attempt that time I hadn't even had a plan I just knew that I could not cope the way that I was coping yeah um and in a different way to the last time my body had stopped me rather than me stopping myself so you know the, the kind of putting down of the do you ever live in fear that you're going to have another breakdown? Yes. And how does that show up? Like, do you 
have more anxiety when you think about it do you now have a better plan of like okay if I do break down again what's what's my go-to yes yes to all the above um (laughs) so the fear of it coming back is definitely less than it used to be Mm -hmm. definitely less than it used to be and actually very very recently um I had a period of depression um brought on by basically I've got a thyroid disorder and it was very very overactive and my anxiety was through the roof and I kind of couldn't get a doctor's appointment for two weeks and it was just it was incredibly stressful and Linus the pup basically was the thing that I put all my anxiety on and was just like I can't do it I can't do it I can't do it I can't do it with him you mean yeah having a dog well I was basically just like someone needs to take him because there's so much other stuff going on like this medical stuff and my mental health stuff and Mm -hmm. work and you know this is this is crisis point I need help I need help and I called my parents and asked them to take him and originally they said no and then a few days later... How I, did that feel, asking for help and someone saying no? I was furious. I didn't did they s- give a reason? Well, so my mum had just come back from a really, really long trip where she'd been looking after her brother, who was really unwell, mm-hmm. um, both mentally and physically. And my dad had gone with her, and then they'd gone on holiday. So they'd been away for about eight weeks in total. Mm-hmm. And I knew that that had been a very kind of emotional, emotionally draining time for my mum. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's my dog. Right. They'd chosen... We had a dog with with them before and they'd chosen not to have another dog Mm -hmm. for you know probably all the reasons why I felt like I couldn't cope with Linus at that point to be Mm -hmm. fair um (laughs) my immediate response was yeah I mean I was angry because also when Linus and I moved out of home and I'd kind of said to my mum that I was worried about living with him my mum had said you know if you ever can't cope with him just call us and we'll help but just pausing right there I completely understand that when and I and I deal with that a lot in my life is when people say things like that and then when it comes time to do it they back out it's like I hate when people make promises or say things in such an affirming way and then when it comes time to it, back out. And I get that people have the right to say no and and they might have meant it at the time and whatever, but I wish people would say, if I'm able to, I will, you know, just instead of these big sweeping, I'll save it. I totally agree. I mean, this this is a pattern with my mum and her immediate response is all she wants to do is to say whatever she needs to say to make me feel better. Mm. To patch um, it up. Exactly. And especially because of, you know, she still carries a lot of a lot of sadness and a lot of shame for, you know, the things that happened in my childhood and also things that happened for her, you know, her mm. mental health and her struggles. And so in the in the immediate kind of instance, she says what she feels like she needs to say to make it better, and then she does regret it later. But that is almost more damaging, isn't it? It is, but I have also come to accept that my parents are human mm. and that has been a very painful thing but also you know they they can only do what they can do it's it comes back to acceptance it comes back to I can't control anybody else my parents Mm -hmm. are who they are my mum is who she is and if I actually accept them for who they are and what they can't do and Mm -hmm. what they can't give me which to be honest a lot of the time is some of the things that I really really do feel like I need on quite a regular basis Mm -hmm. then it's okay because I can get those things elsewhere yeah and it's frustrating for me sometimes that I mean I'm I'm 30 now and sometimes I think like oh my gosh I can't believe that I'm only realizing this now but I do acknowledge that you know there are countless people who come to those sort of realizations later mm-hmm. um, and actually I'm just really really grateful that I'm able to start that part of my journey now because it, it already this mm-hmm. year has been transformative it really really has it's completely changed my relationship with them because I expect less yeah and so because I expect less I get more because when yeah. they do things it's wonderful yeah that is such a hard place to to get to though yeah I 
I'm totally like have a savior complex within me of like wanting to do everything I can for everyone. I mm. never feel like I can say no. Mm. I feel like I failed if I if I have something I can't give. I don't mm. I don't allow a lot of humanity to myself in yes. that way. Do you to other people? Do you allow other other people to have that humanity? Or do you expect the same from other people? Because um, I used to struggle with that. I think I lean on a few select people probably too much mm. and, and I don't maybe spread spread it out as much so they get a bit more burned out. So when they say no, because I keep it so close and have such a tight inner circle, mm. I think I get more like, well, hold on, you're all I have. Like, yes. you can't say no. And yes. that was more when I was in my really anxious state of... Mm you can't have boundaries I need you all the time, <laughs> which is unfair, of course. Yeah. Um, but I think the truth is I just don't lean on a lot of people. Yes. I'm like what you were talking about earlier is I just, you know, whip myself to the point of keep going. You've got to always yes. be working. You can't really take a break. You've got to go, 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 go. And yes. I think I think I'm trying to do that so I don't have to lean on anybody else because I felt let down. Yes. And I have to reframe it in my mind of, it wasn't a personal attack. It wasn't because they loved me any less than yes. they should. It was because they had a had a line they couldn't cross because of their own issues yes. or their humanity. Yes. And so I'm still on the journey of reframing that. Of There were definitely times where people like did me wrong mm. and should have been there and mm. whatnot. But a vast majority of things that I've looked at through a hurtful lens, mm. as in like I got hurt in that, mm. I think I will do better if I can look at it as they did their best mm. and what I found for myself and I think a lot of people do is it's so much easier to hold on to pain and to, and misery yes it's so much easier to sit and go well I was hurting this and mm. I've got issues because of this and and almost use it as a justification yes to explain why you are the way you are and why your yes. life is the way it is yes and it's a really difficult bridge to cross which is what you just talked about is is to looking at it as their people like especially your parents mm. I think I think I think children feel like they have this ownership of, well, I know you two are human and, and whatever, but you're my parents and you should be this mm. way, you know, um, and not really letting them off the hook ever or yes. at least until you've really, really grown up and there's a huge amount of time, which is, I think we've got, a, neither of us are parents, but when we are, if we are, we will suddenly go, okay, I, I, I get, get I, I get, I get a lot <laughs> yeah. of things, but, you know, sort of a shout out to parents of, of sacrificing and having to oh my gosh yes be really misunderstood and yes. not get the grace and space to and be honestly, human and so much of the blame yeah because it's you know there's that poem am i allowed to swear yeah we have, you we're... know they fuck you up your mum and dad they don't mean to but they do yeah it's you know no but no parent yeah. gets it 100 percent right but no parent does. yeah and we forget that our parents are also children yes. and have their own issues with yes. their parents and back and back and back and back as yes. far as humanity goes yes. you know hurt people comma hurt people yes. and everyone's got their traumas and experiences that they're trying to get through everyone's got their own journey with mental health that they either are or are not addressing yes both are difficult if yes. you're addressing it it's still yes. difficult even if you're not and i just think it's it's a really hard thing to do. It's like surrendering. It's like mm. a kid that like doesn't want to give up power in having a tantrum. And they mm. realize like if they just stop and let go and surrender, okay, I'll just eat my dinner and everything will be fine. But yes. but they so want to sit in that, 
I'm gonna hold the power and I'm gonna yes. I'm gonna ride well, this that, out. It's that kind of it's that self righteous in inverted commas anger, mm-hmm. and it's this also for me this concept of resentment, mm-hmm. which you know like you were saying it's easier to to feel those things. It may be easier in the moment because right. that's kind of resigning yourself to what you're feeling and it's more protective and letting that take over and it's mm-hmm. more it, it in inverted commas again keeps you safe mm-hmm. because that's what we know is I defend myself I protect myself and I think it's easier to be a victim. It is because you've got a lot more. Well, I'm this way because of this, yes. and you do, and it's harder and more challenging to look at. You know, well, where did those people's issues come from? But also, where is my part in this? Exactly. How, how have I contributed? percent. Now, of course, we can totally acknowledge that there are things that happen to children yes. that they have no control over. Yes. And they are just straight victims and they didn't deserve it and all of that. And no one deserves to be hurt. No No one deserves... My shit does not... You don't deserve to get, you know, hit by my shit and vice versa. But it happens. That is a part of life and that's a part of our experience. But how can we lessen it and how can we move from I'm a victim and all these things happen to me? Because I for sure sat in that space Mm. of you know, writing the script a particular way to keep me victimised. And there's a lot of things that happened to me in my life that I didn't deserve Mm. that were because of other people's issues that, yes, okay, they got impacted by other people to make them that way. Mm. And then there were things that I've done that I either actively contributed to or I have contributed to my own victimization by staying in that space. And it's so much harder to surrender and say... I'm going to give you grace and, and allow you to be human. And part of why that's scary is because you're opening yourself up for more... Um, you're being vulnerable. Yeah, abuse. Yeah. And we talked off the air about, you know, just because you've been through something and you want to give people grace, that doesn't mean you need to take away the acknowledgement of what happened to yes. you. You don't well, stay. It's, it's assertiveness versus aggressiveness, right. isn't it? It's and you don't stay... Yeah, well. you don't stay in situations that are bad for you where, yeah. where you're being abused. Yeah. But changing, changing the the lenses that you're looking through, I think is a one of the most important things to do, and b one of the most difficult things to do. Mm. So, and it's all good and well us sitting talking about it, but how do we get people to do it? How mm. do we encourage and educate our younger generations? Mm. I think you know you being a, a trained and qualified teacher, yes, you know and and I've had a lot of experience working with kids, I would say that, like, I would love to see, like, programs in school. Yes, I totally agree. Like, classes where, you know, just as much as you need mathematics, Mm. you know, how many times have we all said, like, when am I going to use algebra? (laughs) You know, like, all these things that we're learning in school, like, big things that we need to be learning in schools that we don't are how how does a mortgage work yeah how do you go through the process of buying a house how do you tax return yeah how do you do taxes how do you vote how do you you know all of these things that you actually need to know yeah that we're not teaching in schools anymore which blows my mind but then also like having something like an empathy class Mm. and talking about mental health and the struggles that people go through and because there's no space for young kids to talk about it so Mm. they're coming up experiencing it because life doesn't care what you look like or who you are it happens mm. to you yes. and there's no real space or education for people to learn about it and talk about it mm. and then go out and be healthier happier citizens yeah. can you imagine what if a generation of young people went to school and that was what they were learning yeah totally and then those people became parents mm. and then their kids did it so because it's, it's, it's all great, like, if your kids are learning things at school, but the parents are from a generation where they're not accepting yes. it. But the kids who are getting the education, 
and then they go on to be parents and then they're more accepting of their kid and it just ripples on mm. can you imagine a world that we would live in like mm. that because how many issues whether it's something extreme like terrorism or people just sitting at home having anxious and depressive spells yes you know how many things in our world that we see as negative mm. like how many times we turn on the news and it's just all negative negative yes. negative yes. are happening because we don't know how to talk about our mental health journey or just about not even necessarily you know just feelings right like even something as relatively small as being able to identify okay that person has said that to me I feel angry. Mm-hmm. Is that because I'm hurt? Is it because I'm scared? Is mm-hmm. it because I'm tired? Mm-hmm. Is it because I haven't eaten today? Mm-hmm. Like, how much of this is about the other person yeah. and how much of this is about me? Mm-hmm. And my control and my power then mm-hmm. is what do I choose to do with this feeling? Yeah. The feelings, we can't control themselves. The thoughts, we can't control themselves. But what we can control is what we choose to do with them. Yeah. And giving a child that power of, I see you're feeling angry. What do you feel like doing? What would you like to do? And then they can tell you. And then you say, okay, what do you think the right thing would be to do in this situation? Mm, That's so interesting. And being able to give that power to a child of, I see that you're angry. I see that you're sad. I see that you want to hit that other child for taking your toy. But what might be another way that we could deal with this that would have a better outcome? Mm-hmm. And it works. I've seen it work. Yeah. I've done it with children that I've worked with. Children as young as two mm-hmm. are able to grasp this concept. Right. And, I mean, I I know hundreds of adults around me that can't grasp it because they've just never been <laughs> yeah. shown. Well, like the typical Nobody's bar told them fight. it's okay. Yeah, a, a fight breaks out in a pub, but it's like there's so much testosterone, and I'm, I'm imagining it's between two, you know, cis males of just, like, two two bodies coming together that are just full of testosterone and unresolved issues and no space to talk about how they're feeling and it ends up in a fist fight you know and I think we talk about that a lot in in society of like how men aren't able to talk about their feelings and you know if there's anyone really shafted in the conversation it is it is young young males yes 100%. 100%. And that's so difficult because there's no acknowledgement of the journey they're on. Yes. And that they are emotional beings. Yes. They are intimate, sensual, soft beings yes. as well. Like masculinity, which is a whole other conversation, Yeah, you know, is not just being a tough working provider yes. that doesn't have any feelings and just, you know, it's like the way men are represented or how they should be or masculinity is like, almost like someone who's dead behind the Big eyes. Big boys don't cry. Yeah, and it's just like not not the way it is at all. No, and, and it's not healthy. And it's why so do we unhealthy. do it? Why, why do we, as a society and as a people, feel more comfortable creating another universe or reality mm. that isn't the one that's actually happening? And sort of why are we all sort of okay with like make-believing well because vulnerability is terrifying Mm -hmm. and as soon as but why is it terrifying though because it means that we're open to getting hurt Mm -hmm. and that's but getting hurt is a part of life so why do we shy away from it it is but getting hurt i mean because it hurts Mm -hmm. i'm saying (laughs) that like i'm not also terrified physically no 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 you know devil's advocate yeah but it's because it hurts (laughs) like you know physically emotionally it's uncomfortable and we you know even physically are taught we don't want to feel uncomfortable we don't want to be in pain Mm -hmm. so I will do everything I can to avoid that feeling Mm -hmm. and if that means pretending that I'm not 
sad or pretending that somebody hasn't upset me or pretending that I haven't seen this horrific thing happen Mm. or whatever. In the short term, it feels like pretending it's not happening is what's going to keep me safe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we know now that in the long term that's not true because it bubbles under the surface and it festers and it comes out in all sorts of other ways. Mm -hmm. But ultimately it boils down to... I don't want to feel pain. Yeah. I don't want to feel anything uncomfortable. I just want to feel good. Mm-hmm. And there's this false thing that we're so- sold of I'm supposed to be able to feel happy all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. And again, that was part of my journey was going from depression to okay to depression to okay to depression okay before I came to the realization that being level and being okay does not mean feeling good all the time Mm -hmm. and as soon as I really really not just knew that in my head but you know they talk about dropping from head to heart like I believed it with every part of me will you explain that because I don't know what that means so dropping from head to heart you know there's this concept of kind of intellectually knowing things so throughout my depression I knew that you know the concept of I am enough as I am I could understand it I could oh excuse me (laughs) I could I could read it I could explain it to anyone that would listen Mm -hmm. but I still didn't feel it Mm. I didn't feel it was true and you know I could understand that if I was to take some deep breaths when I was about to have a panic attack that it would calm me down I could understand that the world wasn't ending I could understand that I had catastrophic thinking like I'd studied psychology at university like I understood Mm -hmm. intellectually all of that stuff Mm -hmm. but it didn't change anything it didn't make me feel any better it didn't stop me getting depressed yeah how can people drop from from head to heart because I think that's so powerful so for me it's it was a practical thing Mm -hmm. and I used to absolutely hate the phrase act as if because I kind of associate it with that associated it with that mask and that pretending to be okay Mm -hmm. but actually the action of things like meditation the action of things like calling people that I really really trust and feel really safe with when I'm in the midst Mm -hmm. of feeling super super anxious or super super depressed because my instant reaction when I'm anxious or depressed is to isolate because I feel like if I'm on my own it's better but is that because you don't want other people to have to have the burden of it yes but also because so much of it is for me is about shame right part of you my, don't be able to see you like that part of my anxiety and part of my depression is that shame is massively amplified mm. so when I'm feeling that way I don't want to be around anyone I want to yeah. be on my own and long term even you know a few days like that makes it worse yeah I feel the same I would say I'm an outgoing introvert yes like I'm happy to be around people and do enjoy good people and I've been much more selective of people you know sort of um, the editing of your yes. friendship group as I've gotten older. Yes, me too. Um, but when I need to recharge, it's on my own yeah, that I'm I do exactly that. The same. Um, but I do find too much of that time uh, makes me feel a bit more like recluse yes. and disconnected because yes. I think we are generally community beings, yes. and that that comes in all different ways. Like just going out and seeing other people on the street that might be enough for some people. Other people might need to have like yeah. a one on one conversation. Yeah. I remember. Um, when I was working with Pharrell, we ended up having this conversation about about exactly this and mm. happiness and eu- euphoria. And I, I was talking with him. You know, the voice was over and and we had reconnected and it was the first time we'd seen each other. And he asked me, "Well, how are you doing?" And I was like, "Well, I've just moved to you know moved to LA." And he said, "Oh, how is it?" And I said, "Well, you know, it's like kicking my ass. <laughs> you know, awful. I'd only been there like six <laughs> months." And and he said to me like, "You know." it's it's like a life is like a roller coaster yes. there are peaks and valleys yes. and you cannot be euphoric all the time no. 
so don't worry mm. you know because when you're up you know you have the momentum to go down but yeah. then the roller coaster never stays down yes. you know like mountains don't stay yes. down and you know he he's a very intense person mm. I, lo- I love him a lot and he looked me in the eye and he said promise me you will not give up mm. and you know of course I was like okay I promise but and to me later on as I've looked back on that conversation that meant so many things like you know don't give up on your music mm. don't give up on trying don't give up on life yes. you know, don't give up on love like yes. all it, it kind of applied to so many things yes. and um that conversation meant a lot to me mm. and I've always held on to that mm. and it's interesting you talk about shame because we talked earlier the other day about if I could take one thing off of the burden of the world, mm. if I could take one thing from every person, mm. it would be shame. Yes. I think it is, if not the most, one of the most destroying, corrosive things mm. that a human being can experience. Mm. The shame of not even feeling like you can talk about what you're thinking mm. because of other people's judgment or people might walk mm. away from you or what does that mean about who you are as a person. And I yeah. think it is horrendous mm. i have dealt with it mm. i've i've had shame about choices i've made in relationships choices i've made um with how i've behaved mm. choices i've made in in things i've done the thoughts i've had the mm. mental issues i've had mm. and shame can go fuck itself like mm. honestly i i mean i just think it is horrendous and that is mm. a that is an appropriate time to swear because that's what it's for you know it's also you know the root out of that and we touched on it before when we were talking about you know how do you go from head to heart is connection mm-hmm. connection is it and it's it's you know like you were saying when you read that book on OCD and you mm-hmm. saw those symptoms and you were like oh yes that's me I get that I'm yeah. not on my own there are other people that feel this 100% and it's you know for me there's been you know the 12 step community which is incredible and has kind of carried me through and I say this all the time loved me until I could love myself mm. because they just showed me absolute unconditional acceptance and no judgment whatsoever yeah. and, and that's then what I, you need you know friends like you friends like my best friend Sam who I grew up with I'm very lucky that I'm very close with my sister um and then I have also you know my my faith community who mm. are again very very loving accepting people and you know by no means everyone in that community is like that I definitely couldn't say that as a blanket statement yeah in either the 12-step community or or you know my faith community yeah. but it's it's connection and connecting with people where I can say this is what I'm going through Mm -hmm. and sometimes they can say me too and that's wonderful Mm -hmm. and sometimes they can just say I'm really sorry you're going through that what do you need right and not to say okay do this do this do this do this and you know give me a list of oh Alex go for a run do do, do," you know that that for me personally doesn't work and I acknowledge that for some people it does yeah but for me, people trying to fix me is not is not the solution. You what, just need. Connection. I just want to be heard. Mm-hmm. I just want to be heard. And for somebody Everybody to tell wants you, to be heard. I love to tell me that they love yeah. me and that it's okay yeah. and that they hear me. Yep. And you know, to say I'm here. Mm-hmm. What do you need? And if they can't give that to me, they can say I'm sorry, I can't do that. But is there something else I can do for you? Is or there anything you I can in a direction. say? Yeah. You know, and something as simple as I'm really sorry you're going through that mm-hmm. is just you know it doesn't make it go away. Mm-hmm. But it just helps you feel like you're not by yourself. Yeah, I think everyone needs that. Everybody, no matter who you are, where you come from, whether you're from the most remote village in the Amazon or, you know, Bel Air, California or London, China, like every human being wants to be heard, to be validated, to be seen. Yeah. And 
And not to be judged. And not to be judged. And in terms of like sharing and, and when you do have those moments of bravery of saying, okay, I'm not going to live in the shame, which is honestly what this podcast is about because yeah. all of these things are difficult to talk about. And there's so much power in just speaking your truth. Yes. But when you, when you say, okay, I'm not going to live in shame, every time I've ever done it, mm. I've decided to share, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable here. Mm. I have always been met with, whether it's not exactly the the exact same experience yes. that other person's gone through and they can go, oh my gosh, me too. Yeah. There's some way humans always want to relate and say, well, I experienced something similar like that or something that made me feel kind of the same way. And you come to this this still water mm. between the two people, between the group of who are sharing, of connection of, oh, we've all kind of been through something similar or yes. something they can relate to. Mm. And it's this amazing, you know, pool of understanding mm. and that I think that's all people really want at the end of it the day it really is and I mean I've heard it said multiple times connection is the opposite of the, I mean they say connection is the opposite of addiction but it's also the opposite of being in the depths of a mental health isolation mm-hmm. connection really really just takes mm-hmm. the power out of it Yeah. because those thoughts and those you know we talked about intrusive thoughts earlier but also those feelings can be so powerful mm-hmm. when they're just bashing around inside of your own head yeah. but as soon as you share it with another person mm-hmm. some of the power is taken out of it if not all of it and there's so many um you know people who have experienced physical prison yes but then there's so many people who have experienced and i'm one of them for a period of time experienced this mental prison yes it was almost like my mind had bars on it and i couldn't get out and no one could get in yeah and it was so vast and wide and yet so tiny and and, uh, claustrophobic at the same time and handing somebody else the key to those that lock on those bars is so powerful because you're suddenly not alone and you don't want to monopolize one person and put your whole world on them but you do need to find people you can connect to Mm. you know and as you said there are lots of different ways there's exercise there's being in nature there's connection Mm. there's you know you've got whatever works for you Mm. and I think that's such a wide end statement that people use all the time but it's so true. What works for you, mm. and sometimes that you find that through trial and error, mm. you've got to find what works for you that you're not alone. Because mm. I don't think anyone's meant to walk this life no, in this world alone. They're not. I mean, I think it's also it's a delicate balance between, like you said, not you know relying solely on one person, not not expecting somebody else to fix it for you, not mm. expecting somebody else to fight the fight for you or take the journey for you. You know, that is something that we do need to do, not on our own, but mm-hmm. we do need to make the choice and we do need to take the steps. Mm-hmm. But just having someone doing it beside you mm-hmm. um, or even behind you is mm-hmm. is such a relief. It's such a relief. I mean, ultimately, we are the only ones that can make the choice to do the things we need to do to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and other people are there to facilitate that and to support that, but they can't do it for us. Yeah. Oh, well. Off he goes. Linus is off. <laughs> well, I cannot thank you enough for being a guest thank on this so podcast much. and just the honesty, the gorgeousness that you've brought. And thanks, Linus. No oh, one... now he lies down. Yeah, now he's all quiet. Um, but he's brought a lovely calm energy to the room. Oh, yeah. Um, so shout out to emotional support animals. Although I did see something really funny the other day that someone brought a peacock on a flight and, no. and they claimed it was their emotional support animal. I think that's going a bit far, Just a bit, maybe. It was like a full, like, male, huge peacock. Also, what happens if it opens up its tail on an airplane? <laughs> what happens then? I don't know. Also, they're very loud, They peacocks. are. I wouldn't, that's not the animal I would choose. But anyway, we love you, we love Linus, thank you so much for being here. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us on this episode of Let's Be Honest. Be sure to follow us across social media using the tag Let's Be Honest, the podcast. Tune in in two weeks time for a special new episode. Bye.